Hello, folks. So glad to talk to you again. Welcome back. This is the On Being Christian Podcast, and this is podcast number 11. Podcast number 11. I'm so glad to be with you again. The On Being Christian Podcast is a ministry of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, and I am the pastor. My name is Nolan Ruby, and I'm the host of this podcast, and looking forward to having just a few moments of your time as we cover some thoughts. Folks, I hope you're having a wonderful new year. We're already out of January, which just blows my mind. Time goes so fast, um, and my schedule and my calendar just gets more full. I praise the Lord for the opportunities that He has uh, provided to serve Him and, and to be in the ministry. But getting straight to the point, as often is the case with this podcast, there's so many times in life where I'm dealing with something personally or dealing with something as a pastor that brings to mind something that might be helpful or uh, beneficial to you as an audience, as a podcast audience. And one of the things that I was noticing this week is, folks, we live in a society, it's a heavily commercialized society, it's a heavily marketed society, uh, you can't go very many places or do very many things without someone trying to convince you that whatever form of whatever thing that you have isn't the right one. It's too old, it's not up to date, it's out of fashion, um, it's just not new. And so kind of the way we live in our society, as an American society specifically, it is with the continual consumption of goods, uh, the continual pulling in of new products, whether it's entertainment or physical things or sustenance, we're always looking for the next new thing. We're always adding to our collection and bogging ourselves down, whether it's with mental being mentally overburdened or physically, folks, physically overburdened because we're just too fat and lazy to move. These are things that um, that the society that you and I live in, it's a struggle. And I opened up the Word of God, and I started looking for a couple things regarding this. I want you to um, just notice with me in 1 Peter chapter 1, there's a wonderful section of Scripture that gives us a very clear picture of what it means to be free of encumbrances, free of undue weight. And I think that's a... That, not, that's not a lot of the Christian life. The Bible lays out a pretty good message that that is exactly what the Christian life is, a life lived uh, free of things that uh, attach themselves to the old man, um, a life lived uh, in motion. Uh, now, I don't know if you've ever been in sports or involved in anything, but I've never seen anyone serious about winning a race uh, run it with a backpack. They just understand that they would like to be the most streamlined that they could, remove the most weight that they could to give themselves the best chance of success. But sometimes in the Christian life, I think we try to serve the Lord while toting behind us all of the old habits and all of the old things that we sometimes don't like to get rid of. First Peter chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 13. I'll read down through verse 16, and then we'll talk about this. The Bible says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, 
But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, that last verse is something that we're very familiar with. Uh, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Most people could finish that if I started the first part of it, could finish the last part of it. But there's a context here concerning what it means to be holy. As a person who has accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, we have a biblical command to be holy, as He is holy. But that doesn't mean what we want it to mean. We don't get to subjectively define what being holy is. That's that's correctly done by accepting the definition that's laid out by the Word of God. And so let's get into this definition of what it means to be holy as He is holy, to move freely in the Christian life. The very first thing I want to notice with you, if you look at verse 13, it says, "...wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober." Now let's talk about a couple definitions here. The word gird, as it's applied in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it's a word meaning to, um, to sharpen or, uh, or to strike a blow. You say, well, that's not what I would have thought. I know, bear with me just for a second. It's a sudden movement or a, a jerking movement or a spurt of action that, uh, that cuts away that, that uh, strikes something that's attached to you. In other words, I'm not pulling in things that are attached to me, putting it all, packing it all in and putting it on my body. Girding up means I'm striking at those things, the ropes that are tied to me, I'm striking at those things and cutting them away so that I'm free, I'm lighter, I'm faster. It's a, a nautical term, in, 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 as it's used most appropriately, uh, according to the the generation of the word, where you would gird up, you would cut away the ropes of a ship. Um, it was a word that was used uh, specifically concerning the need for the ship to move faster, quickly. So instead of pulling everything in and taking the time to uh, coil everything in and pull it in and put it in its place, I need to move fast right now. And so I'm cutting it away. I'm striking at the things that are holding me down. And then the word sober is a word that means moderate or temperate person. It's the avoiding of the excess with respect to indulgences of appetite, as well as entertainment, so on and so forth. It's the free, or excuse me, it's being free from the influence of too much. And it doesn't just mean specifically uh, narcotics or alcohol. Being sober, sober-minded, means being free from the influence of too much of anything. If I give myself over to the influence of too much entertainment, if I give myself over to the influence of too much uh, other opinions, which is the society that you and I live in by far, I've never lived in a society anything other like this. But folks, from what I understand interviewing people who have been in the ministry and have worked different jobs for 50, 40, for 30 years back, they all say, your generation has more access to more information, but you all know less what to do than we did. And that's that idea. It's not sobriety. It's not sober. We're weighed down. 
There's so much that we have attached to ourselves, so much access to information, so much extra comfort, so much extra that when it comes time to move quickly, we're so attached to our things that the quickest that we can move is no faster than we can pack up all our perceived subjective valuables, put them on our back, and carry them on. And the Bible says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, pull those reins in, cut away the excess, be sober, be sober. The command is to gird up or to be sudden in your movement. That means to cut away from you all the influences of excess indulgences that keep you from being freely able to look and move forward toward the hope of of the expectation, or the hope or the expectation of God's grace, because that's the very next thing that it says, is be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm moving forward. The Christian life is about moving forward. In order to do that, I have to cut away all those indulgences. The command gives the reality of the duty of the Christian, you and me, the Christian life, the Christian life is a life of service and action. It requires one to be free of restrictions and weights. When I was in the military, one of the things that we learned very quickly is specifically concerning combat in Iraq was the lighter you are, the less encumbrances on your body, the more effective you are in a life-threatening situation. And so if you were to go, if you were to see us in combat, guys that had some experience, had some exposure, we usually dwindled down our gear to the bare necessities. You say, well, what are the bare necessities? Well, I had a flak jacket that had some bulletproof plates in the front and the back. I considered those necessities. And then I had a medical kit on my left side. That was a necessity. And then I just loaded myself down with ammunition and water. And that's all I had. That's all I had. Now, that's not how we showed up. In fact, you could always tell the new guys because they would show up looking like something out of a Tom Clancy novel. They've got to drop holsters on both legs and upside-down knives looking like some kind of Rambo character. They've got gear dripping everywhere. And the first time that they had to chase somebody or the first time that they had to run after somebody or, God forbid, run away from some, from somebody, they realized very quickly they were weighed down. They were weighed down. And all this stuff, regardless of, of how much money they spent on it or how much they liked it or how much they thought it made them look cool, they got rid of it pretty quick. They got rid of it pretty quick because it didn't matter when it came time to move. Folks, I want you to understand, if we understood, if we correctly grasped the, the biblical doctrine of what it means to be a Christian, we wouldn't be so given over to all of these extra things. And I understand you have to have a life. You have to have things that, that make it possible for you to do the things the Lord wants you to do. But sometimes we are given over to so much extra we all have indulgences and hobbies and collections. And sometimes the Lord comes down and says, all right, it's time for you to go. It's time for you to move. It's time for you to move quickly. In fact, it's time for you to go now. 
and we disobey. We don't do it because we can't move any faster than it takes us to pack up all our precious little things, our trinkets and our gadgets and our widgets and all of our things. And the Bible says that's not sobriety. Living sober, in fact, there's a verse that says, be content with such things as ye have. There's another verse that says, godliness with contentment is great gain. That's what being a Christian is all about. How much more, let me ask you it this way, how much more do you want than eternal life with Jesus Christ? What else on this earth could compare to the blessings of everlasting glory with God the Father? And if I understood that, would I live my life differently? Would I live my life lighter, more... um, free of things that tie me down. Sometimes we have these points of stress, and there's something, sometimes there's stress in our lives that we can't do anything about, but folks, there's other times when we have stress that we shouldn't be carrying. These mental weights that we bury on ourselves. Sometimes we have health problems related to indulgence. We have restrictions related to the fact that we simply can't say no to things that maybe we shouldn't be putting in our body. You say, what does this have to do with being a Christian? I'm just telling you, I think most of the problems that we face are of our own making because we won't cut away and gird up our mind and live soberly in the contentment of the relationship between our Heavenly Father and and us. All right, a couple verses on this. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which doth so easily beset us. You, you, you lay it aside. The Bible says these things, these weights, these sins, they slow us down. They make it to where we cannot be counted on to move quickly for the cause of Christ. And by the way, sometimes the Lord doesn't necessarily give you all the time in the world to collect yourself and move forward. The Christian life is lived in real time. It's lived in real time. It's just, I think of it in the same context that I would think of a lot of things that I did in the military. One of the things that I understood and demanded that others understood when I became a Marine that was put into positions of leadership was that when it's time to go, I have absolutely no desire to explain it to you. In fact, if you're in a combat situation and you decide that you're not going to really do anything until you understand the the entirety of the picture, you're probably not going to make it very far. And worst case scenario, you're going to cause someone else to go down with you. Because obedience in that situation requires instantaneous action. And sometimes that's exactly what the Christian life is about. And the, the more free we are of the weight of extra indulgences and encumbrances, when we lay aside the weight and the sin that the Bible says easily besets us, then we're more ready to do what the Lord says quickly. We don't have to have all of these trailers full of goodies that we drag behind ourselves. Sometimes we get into these debates with the Lord. This is something that most people struggle with concerning the moment that they either accept Christ or reject him. In fact, there's a story in the Bible of a rich young ruler who asked the Lord, Jesus Christ, to his face. He said, quote, 
what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I want you to keep in mind the Bible says that this young ruler was very rich. He had great possessions. And the, the following conversation, Jesus Christ says, you know the commandments, keep them. And this guy um, had the audacity to look into the face of Christ, and he said, quote, all these things have I done from my youth up. In other words, he said, I, I'm perfect. What else, what lack I yet? And Jesus said, yet lackest thou one thing. And then he told him to go sell everything that he had and give it to the poor. And the Bible says that that young man walked away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In other words, when he was told to gird up his mind and live soberly, he rejected Christ for the temporary wealth and possessions and status of this earth. Now, I want you to ask yourself a question. If we could reach into hell and pull out that man and ask him how he felt about that decision, what do you suppose he would say? Someone who has been in hell for 2,000 years, what do you think that he would say? Do you think that he would tell you that he made the right decision, that he'd make the same decision over again? That the wealth and status, the luxuries, indulgences of this world, this very, very temporary world was worth, up to this point, what is 2,000 years in hell and what will be an eternity for him? An eternity in hell for the, what the Bible says is a vapor. This life is a vapor. I don't think that he would say that. I think that he would scream and beg us to live soberly, to cut away, to gird up our mind. If you go to 2 Corinthians 7, 1, the Bible says, let us cleanse ourselves. That means get, get rid of all of that stuff. Clean it out. Clean out your mind. Clean out your, your body. Clean out your, your soul. Live soberly. Gird up your mind. Cut away the weights. Cut away the sin. Cut away the indulgences. You say, how do I do that? Folks, you understand if you have a hard time doing that, there is a life that you can live free of connection. We're so connected to everything. We have social media that lets us know what everyone's doing, whether we want to or not. And then we let everyone know what we're doing, whether they want to know what we're doing or not. I haven't gone to dinner in five years without seeing at least five, ten people take a picture of their meal and send it to the world. This is something I don't understand. We forgot how to live life for the pleasure of life itself. It's almost like it didn't happen unless we tell everyone else that it happened. And not only do they need to know that it happened, they also need to know that we spent more than they did, enjoyed it more than they did, and we looked better than they did while we were doing it. Folks, wait and sin, extra indulgences. That's not sober living. That's not sober living. And when the Bible says, or when God comes to you and says, I need you to cut away from all this because it's time to go, we're going to have a hard time because we're so attached to all the extra. Ephesians chapter 4, 22 through 24, you'll find the Bible says, put off, and then it has this whole list of things related to the old man. And then it says, put on. And it's a whole list of things related to the new man or, or related to Christ. And that's what it means to be a Christian, to put off the old man and to put on the new. Sometimes I think when we do legitimately accept Christ, and we actually do receive him as our personal Lord and Savior, there's about five minutes of a euphoric type of feeling. 
But then for some reason, we try to live the Christian life without the author of Christianity. We try to be Christian when it was impossible for us before Christ. Why do we think that's going to be possible in the old man after Christ? You understand the only way to be a Christian is with the author of Christianity, Christ. Without him, I'm, I'm not capable of this life. I'm not capable of the Christian life specifically. It's outside of my reach. It's beyond me. The Bible says in Romans, for all men uh, fall short of the glory of God. The natural man cannot please God. The natural man must accept Jesus Christ. That's the only form that the Bible says that upon Jesus' baptism, when he was baptized by John the Baptist, it was one of a couple times when God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all in the same place at the same time um, on earth. And when Jesus Christ was baptized, the Bible says that there was a, a voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom... I am well pleased. Now, if you take that and you contrast that with the verse that says God is no respecter of persons, then biblically, doctrinally, I understand that there is only one man that God the Father is pleased with, and that's God the Son. And in order for me to have a relationship with God the Father, I must accept repentance and faith towards God and and repentance towards Jesus Christ. I I must accept God the Son. And it's through God the Son that I can live the Christian life. It's through God the Son that I can gird up my mind and live soberly. It's through God the Son that I please God the Father. Without Him, I don't have anything. I just have all of my personal collections and the weights that easily beset me. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2 says, No longer live in the flesh, it goes on to say. You understand when you accept Jesus Christ, you have a biblical command to no longer live in the flesh. That's in, now, without Christ, you can only live in the flesh. But with Christ, you are free for the first time to actually live by the dictates of the doctrine of the Word of God, which, which is to live in the Spirit. And when I do that, I'll notice that the Bible tells me over and over again to be free of those extra things, the weights, the indulgences, the luxuries, and to be sober. Colossians chapter 3, 8 through 18, there's 10 verses there, and it also gives you the same thing as Ephesians chapter 4, where it tells you what to put off, and then it tells you what to put on. Philippians chapter 3, 13 through 14, you'll find this, it says, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth, and then it goes on to say before. And so the Christian life, it's about forgetting what's behind me. Forgetting, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting those things that are behind me, and I'm reaching forth. How do I do that? Well, I have to cut away the things that are behind me. Sometimes we try to approach the duty to live the Christian life with all of the things from our past tied to us. Let me ask you this. If you're married, would your spouse accept your love for them if it came with a forced acceptance of every other thing that they've ever been and done? Let me rephrase that. That was kind of a word salad. If I was to approach my wife and tell her that I love her and then also tell her I want you to accept every single thing that I've ever been, 
every mistake I've ever made, that I, I'm not gonna, I, I haven't do, gotten over any of that. In fact, I, I think they're precious to me. I'm gonna pull them into our relationship. I don't think that that would be fair to her. I don't think that, that she has any mandate to accept that. And likewise from her to me. If I'm gonna love my wife, I'm gonna move forward with her, which means putting away everything before her. Why would a relationship with Jesus Christ be any different? And that's what it says in Philippians 3, forgetting those things which are behind. I'm forgetting the old man, the old ways, the old ideas, the old concepts, uh, the old indulgences, the old luxuries. I'm cutting it all away. Why? Because I'm moving forward. I'm moving forward. Uh, as it says in Corinthians, uh, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, a new creature. I'm new in Jesus Christ. And why would I go back and try to box up all those old things and bring it into a life that they don't have any place in? 1 Peter chapter 1, 13-16, the Bible says, uh, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Jesus Christ, through the grace of God and His blood that He shed on the cross, gives us freedom from sin, liberty from the carnal mind. If I've accepted Him, and I have that freedom from sin and that liberty from the carnal mind, then I have the right, through Him, the ability, for the first time ever, to actually be holy. Not because of any uh, intrinsic ability in myself, but because of my acceptance of Him, and He now lives in me. He owns my heart. He is my heart. And it's through His ability that I can actually move forward morally. If I don't do that, then I am, by the definition and doctrine of the Word of God, being disobedient. Verse 4 of um, 14, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 says, as obedient children. That word obedient there means submissive to the will of a superior. It means complying with or carrying out a command. And that's what repentance leads to. I'm, I'm repenting towards the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm choosing to be, uh, by His grace and by His ability, obedient to His Word. And if I try to pull all my old self with me into the new life, that is defined as disobedience. So as obedient children, or uh, submissive compliant children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust. Fashioning there is a word that means uh, the action or the verb uh, uh, of the verb fashion. It means to style yourself after. Folks, <clears throat> let me just touch on this for a minute. You understand the Bible says that those who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior are to be a peculiar people. But sometimes as I look out into Christianity, I see this desperate attempt to not look any different than anybody else, to not act any different than anybody else. I go to the same places they go. I don't go to any of the places that they don't go. In fact, there's not a thing that would differentiate me from them except my subjective statement that I'm a Christian, though it doesn't require anything of me, apparently. Folks, that's disobedience. 
The Bible says I'm not to fashion myself after the former lust, the old man. I'm not supposed to fashion. I'm not supposed to look like that. I'm not supposed to talk like that. I'm not supposed to dress like that. I'm not supposed to think like that. If I walk, talk, act, dress, think, do the the old man, that's disobedience. I've said this before, I, I believe, but if there was a command that all Christians should be arrested and and prosecuted, would anyone come and look for you? Because that's really what this is about. You say you're a Christian, but does anybody else know you're a Christian? Based off how you live, not based off what you say. As the moniker goes, folks, talk is the cheapest thing in the world. It's, it's just the way it is. What does your life say about you? What have you cut away from your life? What have you given up for the cause of Christ? What changed? And not according to you, but if I were to ask people in your life, if you were to ask people in my life, what would they say has changed about me? Has anything changed? Or am I still dragging with me all of the non-sober aspects of the old man? Am I still toting around the weight and the sin. If you are familiar with the very classic book, Pilgrim's Progress by Bunyan, if, if, you're, if you're familiar with that, the entire book is written, um, or to the very end, with, and if you've ever seen like the old volumes of Pilgrim's Progress where they have the old woodcut artistry in it, the whole time he has this massive bag, this package, this um, this pack, this burden on his back. And it's not until he, he's at the feet of the cross where he, he lets that burden fall. That's the picture of, 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 of girding up your mind. I'm cutting away the weight. I'm cutting away the sin. Folks, I want you to understand that Jesus Christ came to this earth to seek and to save those that are lost. That's what the Bible says. It says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And to be obedient to the cause of Christ, I'm supposed to put my burden down. I'm to leave it at the feet of the cross. I'm to be done with it. I'm to cut it away. I'm to live morally, spiritually, psychologically, physically sober free of indulgences, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust. I'm not supposed to look like the former lust. That word uh, lust there is a word meaning pleasure, delight, desire. It's a word that get, that leans into the understanding of appetites, to relish or the inclination for something beyond me. And that's the society we live in, is it not? Every sign you see, every radio ad you hear, every social media advertisement, every commercial tells you, listen, you don't have what you need. You might have one, but there's a better one. You might have a good one, but there's a newer one. Whether it's a thing, whether it's a person, whether it's a wife, a husband, everything tells you to not be satisfied. 
Seek the new. Get the new. And, of course, that comes with a hefty price tag. We're all in so much debt over things that we don't need, sold to us by people who don't care about us, to get things that we don't want. But yet we still do it. Why? Well, because that's what the old man is. Trapped, burdened, enslaved to sin. The new man girds up his mind and lives soberly, moving forward, pushing forward for the cause of Christ. It says, to the not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. That word ignorance there is a word that means um, it, it means to be in want of knowledge. It's an offense or a sin done specifically, or, or yeah, specifically because of the lack of wisdom. An offense or a sin done specifically because of the lack of wisdom. Why would I want to bring all the things that I gained that are products of decisions that I made from the lack of wisdom into the Christian life, which is, according to the Bible, supposed to be a product of the wisdom of God? You see, folks, the two don't go together. I either want God or I want me. I either want to be sober-minded, free of influence, apart from the doctrine of the Word of God, or I reject God for the wealth of this world. And like I said before, there was a man that did this. He rejected Jesus Christ. He rejected Jesus Christ to his face, and he walked away from him, choosing the wealth and luxury and status and connectivity of this world. That man who the Bible just simply refers to as a rich young ruler, has been in hell for 2,000-plus years. And I wonder, I wonder about him all the time. If we could pull him out, what would he tell me? What would you and I learn by having a conversation with a man in hell? In fact, there's another story in the Bible that talks about a conversation that took place between a man in hell and a man in paradise before Jesus Christ died and before hell enlarged herself, before paradise was taken up into heaven. Um, he was just simply known as the beggar, Lazarus the beggar. And uh, the man in hell, the Bible records this story, lifts up his eyes and he sees the beggar who sat at his gate and begged for crumbs. And he asked, you know, could you send someone back? to earth, to witness to my brothers. And the message that he got was they have the law and the prophets. In other words, they have the Bible. Uh, let them hear them. And the rich man who's in hell says, no, 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 if you let someone rise from the dead and go back and tell my family not to come to this place of torment, they'll listen. And it was Abraham who said to him, no, they won't. In fact, if one rose from the dead, they won't listen. If they won't listen to the Bible, they won't listen to that. And you say, how is that possible? Well, <laughs> folks, Jesus Christ did come, and Jesus Christ did die, and he did rise from the dead. And sadly, not very many of us are listening. And so, gird up the loins of your mind. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end. 
for the great. You're moving forward. I'm pushing forward for the cause of Christ. Obedience and ignorance cannot be found together, as disobedience and knowledge cannot be found together. One will give way to the other, or vice versa. It's like a spectrum. I'm not going to be able to be um, both of these things at the same time. I can't be uh, sold out for the cause of Christ and in love with what I want. That's just not going to happen. I'm either going to reject myself for the cause of Christ, or I'm going to reject Christ and the cause of Christ for myself. One is obedient, one's disobedient. One's sober, one is drunk with excess. And the Bible commands us as Christians, if that's what I claim to be, then I need to understand it's more than just the spoken words. It's more than just the things that I say. It's how I live. It's what I do. It's who I stand for. It's who I serve. And if I'm not serving the Lord, if I'm not living soberly, if I'm not living righteously, if I'm not living a separate life, if, not, if, not, if I've not separated myself from anything that I was attached to before I claimed Christ, then what's changed? And if nothing's changed, then we're just playing a game here. Considering that word, ignorant, there's a verse in 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, if I start in verse 3 and go to verse 8, the Bible says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they are from the beginning of creation. For this, they willingly are ignorant. They willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. If I keep reading down to verse 8, it says in verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day, is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. You say, well, how could be not ignorant of that? Well, define that for me. Well, if I go all the way back up to verse chapter uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 3, it says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. And then it defines those people in verse 5. It says, for this they willingly are ignorant. Folks, willing ignorance has to be the worst type of ignorance. Knowing that God loves me, knowing what I'm supposed to do, knowing that the life that I'm living is against the doctrine of the Word of God, but choosing to do it anyway. That's a sad uh, tale. It's a sad story. That's exactly the story of the rich young ruler. He knew, if I don't accept Christ, then I don't have him. And if I don't have him, then heaven's not my home. And he still, he still chose to reject him. How many of us folks, how many of us, you particularly, know what you're doing is not right? How your living's not right? But you're so tied down with the weight and the luxury and the extra 
and the comfort that you just can't cut it away. Folks, you'll get to a point where you'll regret that, I promise you. Now is the time, the Bible says. Now. when How do I live the Christian life? I can't live it in any other sense than in the present. I have to live it now. I can't schedule it. I can't plan it. I can't go back and fix the things that I wish I could, and I can't plan for the future the things I want to do. I live the Christian life right now. And so right now, what needs to be cut away for you to live the Christian life? Right now, what needs to stop in order for you to live a sober, and that's spiritually speaking, physically, mentally, psychologically speaking, a sober life for the cause of Christ? What am I so tied to that it owns me and I don't own it? In Romans chapter 10, verse 3, it says, being ignorant of God's grace. Being ignorant. Folks, that's the worst type of thing to be, especially when you don't have to be. Especially when you don't have to be. There's so much Bible on this. I want to share just a couple things with you. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I need to go over there here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. There's a wonderful verse here. I'm doing this from memory. I'm just trying to remember it. Yeah. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. In other words, folks, he doesn't want you to be ignorant. It's not his will that we be ignorant. But if I attach myself to too much of the things of life and not enough of the things of Christ, then I am ignorant. And the worst type of that ignorance is when I do it knowing that I'm doing the wrong thing which is just heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. God would not have us to be ignorant. So the context of what we're reading is found in 1 Peter chapter 1. That's where we started this whole thing, 1 Peter chapter 1. And we started in verse 13, and the Bible says, and we just get over there very quickly, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end. For the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Folks, we do have a biblical command to be holy. We do have a, a, the freedom in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to be holy. What we don't have is the right to define what that holiness looks like. The Bible did that for us. And it defined it by telling us to, to be sober, to gird up our minds, to cut away the weight and the sin, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, which, verse 1, which does so easily beset us. We live in a society that's becoming so increasingly weighed down. Just driving through my neighborhood, sometimes on a nice day, when the garage of people's homes is open, more often than not, the garages are just stuffed full of things that I doubt they even know are in there. Just stuffed full. Our homes are stuffed full. Our closets are stuffed full. We've got stuff everywhere. But yet we complain about not having the stuff that we need. That's the physical sense. Our minds have access to so much. We watch so much. We pull in so much. We listen to so much. 
We have little devices in our pockets by way of these little smartphones that declared the death of boredom as soon as they were invented. We've, we've forgotten how to be alone inside our own mind. <laughs> I was somewhere the other day, and two people were sitting there having dinner, looking at their phones. They put their phones down for just a second to have a, a conversation or something. Somebody excused themselves to go to the bathroom, and as soon as they got up, the other person got on their phone, and as soon as that person came back, he got on his phone, and we, we just, we're, so, we're so inundated. We're so connected to everything except for the things that matter except for the things that are real. We know everything going on politically. We follow all the things that tell us exactly what our favorite sports team is doing. We have all of these uh, streaming services that allow us to literally binge watch whatever we want for 24 uninterrupted hours. We connect ourselves into gaming systems. We follow everyone else's life through the aspect of social media but we don't follow God. God's life, God's desires, God's commands, written in plain black and white, in, in readable form in the Bible. We dismiss it. We get rid of it. Oh, sure, there's probably one on your nightstand or maybe in a drawer. Maybe there's a family one on a shelf or in a desk. Maybe you're a Christian and you take it with you to church, and then the preaching starts and it sits on your lap, unopened. Folks, we have our priorities so mixed up. We're so connected to so much that doesn't matter. We're so burdened with so much that is harmful to us. Cut it away. Get rid of it. Cleanse it out. Learn how to be alone. Learn to enjoy the silence and peacefulness of solitude, a relationship that the Bible says Jesus Christ will honor with a still, small voice. That's what we need. That's where Christianity is lived. That's where it's effective. It may be that we're not effective because we're not gird up. The Bible says that judgment must first start in the house of God, and it's easy for us to point our fingers at political figures and, and world leaders and so on and so forth and, and shift blame. But in reality, judgment must first start in the house of God. And if we can't even disconnect ourselves from all the luxurious parts and points of life, how in the world do we expect to be used of God to help other people do that? Folks, I love you. I'm so glad that you listened. I'm so glad to have the opportunity and the privilege and the blessing to spend some time with you, and I hope that this is helpful. 1 Peter chapter 1, 13-6, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end. Push forward. The victory is in Jesus Christ, not in us, not in our cultures, not in our job descriptions, not in the way we do things. I can't wait to talk to you again. Uh, if you have any questions, you can get a hold of me. I've got the uh, church number right there on the on the website. It's wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com, W-A-S-A-T-C-H, frontbaptistchurch.com. You can also get a hold of me on my direct um, email address under the contact link on that webpage. If you have any questions or you'd like to just give me a ring, give me a call, give me an email, I'd love to talk to you. I've got a few things coming in and I always enjoy it. Let's pray. We'll have a, 
Uh, just a word of prayer, be dismissed, be done, and I'll talk to you next time. Father, thank you so much for everything you've done for us and for all the privileges that we don't even know to thank you for. Help us to gird up our minds to rely on you for the privilege of being a Christian. We leave these things in your hands, and we ask that you would bless us and give us opportunities to serve you. Don't let us pass any opportunity by. In Jesus' name, amen. Talk to you soon, folks.